So as we start our Bible study today in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God is again bringing the children of Israel and the mixed multitude, the Ger Hashar, the stranger who's within the gate who wants to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, into the covenant. He renewed the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai after Moses broke the tablets, and he's renewing it again before they go into the land. He just constantly renews the covenant with whosoever will that will come. And that's the fundamental process or principle in the scripture is that whosoever will may come. But in chapter 28 verse 1 it tells us what is required of us if we want to be in a covenantal relationship with God. What do you have to have first? You must have faith. You must believe that there is a God before you can enter into a covenant with God. Can you enter into a covenant with a God in which you don't believe? No. But that's not enough. From faith grows love. And all throughout Deuteronomy, it's do you love me? Do you love me? And that continues in the New Testament. What did Messiah say in John 14, 15? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. First John chapter 5, what is the love of God that we keep his commandments? So once you have faith in God and you love God, and what causes the love of God? What causes it? Realizing how much he loves us. In Deuteronomy, what does Moses keep telling the people? Look how God brought the ten plagues upon the Egyptians that you could be taken out of slavery. How he split the Red Sea so that you could be saved from Pharaoh's army. How he fed you with manna from heaven and water from the rock. How he brought you to Mount Sinai and entered into a covenant with you. How he then led you through the wilderness, defeated Sihon and Og, the huge giants of which the people were so afraid. Now because God has shown you his love, let me show you how to show God your love. That's the way Moses keeps presenting it. In the New Testament, how does God present it? For God so loved the world that... That is, this is how God demonstrated his love to the world. He sent his only begotten son. Why? Because we loved him first? No, because he loved us first. He demonstrated his love, and then God says, now if you love me, if you want to express your appreciation and gratitude, then simply obey me. Out of fear? No, out of love. So that's where we are in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. It says, now it shall come to pass, what's that next word? Just a little word, if. What is that word, if? It's a condition. Do you have to enter into a covenantal relationship with God? No. no. You can go off and do whatever you want. But what are the consequences of turning away from God? Not good. Not good. Uh-oh. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. That word diligently in Hebrew is an infinitive of emphasis. So you should read this. Now it shall come to pass if you obeyingly obey. So if you really, really obey the voice of the Lord your God. Notice the word Lord is that tetragrammaton, those four Hebrew letters, yod heh vav the name of God. 
the Lord your God. Is it your God or is it their God? How do you take your relationship with God? Is it personal? It needs to be personal. To observe carefully. To observe how? Carefully. carefully. Why would you observe carefully? It means it means something to you. God bless you. To observe carefully, does it say some of his commandments? Or it says all his commandments. And notice it follows Deuteronomy 27, where they've been shouting commandments and saying, cursed is the one who does not obey. And all the people are echoing back, amen. Meaning we understand that sin has consequences, that violating God's commandments brings judgment. Which I command you today. Why the emphasis on today? Do you know? A little louder? It's actually the day that Moses will die. This is it. It's very last day. So he's given them an ultimatum. I'm not going to be with you. I can't cross that river. I can't hold your hands. I can't intercede with God for you. So you've got to take it to heart now. So today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Notice, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, and then he tells you what that means. To observe carefully, and it means to do. If you really care, and you really will do it, he's going to tell you all the blessings that are going to follow. And the word blessed appears six times in those first 14 verses of this chapter. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. What was that blessing in chapter 28, verse 1? That the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is that a different promise than in Deuteronomy 28? It's not. That's the promise of each of the covenants. If you will enter into a covenantal relationship with God based upon faith and love, God will set you high above all nations. You'll be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What's that word holy mean? Set apart unto God, not like the sins of this world. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy 26. Eighteen to nineteen. And keep in mind that first Peter reading. Deuteronomy twenty six, eighteen and nineteen. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor. 
and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Do you see that the promises are the same? Whichever covenant of God you look at, from the covenant of Mount Sinai to its renewal, to this covenant in Deuteronomy 20, it's called the covenant of Moab. Each one is just a renewal of the covenant. A renewing of the covenant. What is Jeremiah 31? It's a renewing of the covenant. Okay, let's look also at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 is the original covenant at Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. I have some questions out here. Let me look while you're turning. Okay, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Do you see how we have consistency from Exodus 19 all the way up to 1 Peter? And yet today you hear theologian after theologian say, you don't need to keep God's commandments. You're a special people. You're a holy people set apart unto God. What are they missing? What sets us apart? It's our faithful obedience to him. Hmm. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28, verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. What's the next word? It should be because. It shouldn't be if. It should be because. You obey the voice of the Lord your God. And notice it's not that you promise to obey, but because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Of course, it's tied to the if up in verse 1. So if you really do obey the voice of the Lord your God, you do it out of faith, you do it out of love, there's no other reason to do it. And because you do, God has promised on his own name, his own nature, his own character, that all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Number three. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. What's that mean? Everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, whether you live in the city, whether you live out in the sticks like we do out here in Georgia. Does God require us all to be in Jerusalem to be blessed? No, God will bless you wherever you are. What does obedience always bring? Blessing. Now verse 4 starts to get a little more specific. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, meaning your children will be born alive and healthy. How much pain is it when a child is born stillborn? 
how it tears at the heart. God said, if you will, out of love and faith, obey me, that'll never happen. The children will be born healthy, they'll be born happy, they will be good and strong. The produce of your ground, that's talking about the wheat fields, the grain fields, the fruits and vegetables. What about them? They shall be blessed, which means they will be plentiful, which means no famine, no hunger, plenty to eat. As we look around the world today, how much famine is there? Because there's what? Half the world's flooded where all the crops are destroyed, and the other half there's no rain, and the drought's destroying the crops. Why is that happening in this world? Is this world being obedient to God and God's cursing it anyway? No. What brings God's cursing? His disobedience to his commandments. And the increase of your herds. The increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. Wealth in those days was measured by the number of animals as a general rule. So the cows will produce bountifully. The sheep and goats will produce bountifully. There'll be wool, there'll be milk, there'll be meat. There will be trade. There will be all kinds of, how shall we say, good business dealings. Life will be good. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, the basket for the grapes that are made into wine and the wheat that's ground into flour, the kneading bowl made into bread. No hunger. Verse 5, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. That's a reference to going in and out from battle. In other words, when the enemy attacks, they're going to end up fleeing. When you go out and have to engage them in combat, they're going to be destroyed. You're going to be triumphant. Why? Because who's in charge of the army? God is. Verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you. This is an explanation more of verse 6. Rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. That is, they come as an organized military force and flee in utter disarray. Complete and total victory. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. Verse 35. So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. When the Lord leads the army, can the army be defeated? Leads the army. You thought I said leaves. Uh-huh, yeah, I can see it in your eyes. If the Lord is in charge of the army, it cannot be defeated. Psalm 68, 1. Psalm 68, verse 1. Paul Wilbur has a great song based upon this verse, if you've ever heard it. It says, Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. Psalm 89 verse 10. 
I don't think there was anybody who knew better than King David how God can make an enemy flee. Psalm 89, verse 10. You have broken Rahab in pieces. Who does he mean by Rahab? means Pharaoh and his Egyptian army. As one who is slain, you have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Psalm 92, verse 9. Notice this one is titled, A Song for the Sabbath Day. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Does that make you wish you were on God's enemies list? No, doesn't me either. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. Verse 8. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses. What are the storehouses? Granaries. The places where you store up the food, like the granaries. Yes. And in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, not only will you have sufficient food to eat, but you'll have sufficient to store up in the storehouses for the future or for trade. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, the people are afraid that there won't be enough to eat if they give the tithe. They might not have enough. Of course. When you have an abundance, you have an obligation to share, don't you? Yeah. So in Malachi 3, they're worried about the storehouses. Look at verse 8. Verse 10 uses the same word, storehouse. Verse 8 says, Well, a man robbed God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. If you have robbed me, even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Where were the people putting all their produce? Into their storehouse, not into God's storehouse. God's storehouse is the room in the temple where the tithes and offerings are put to feed the Levites and the priests. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So why is it that they're worried about famine? Are they being obedient to God? No. But God says, but repent, obey, keep the commandments. And the rains will come from heaven. The land will produce mightily. And all the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 will come to you. And you won't have to worry about anything. So back to Deuteronomy 28. That was verse 7. That was verse 8. But that means you've gotten back to chapter 28. So that was verse 8. Now verse 9. 
The Lord him will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. And you see that next word, if? It's not if. Cross it out. It's because. If is im. This word is key. Key means because. Because you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. If you will keep the commandments of God and walk in his ways, he will bless you. He must bless you because he promised it. Does God lie? No. Where does the scripture say, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind? That's Numbers 23. In which book of the Bible does God say, I simply do not change? That's in Malachi. God does not change. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. See if the New Testament says something different. I see people not turning because they say, we know the answer to that one. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25 begins, Therefore, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be right-minded. That's what sober there means, is in your right mind. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah as what? As obedient children. Are you a child of God? If you're an obedient child of God, that means you're keeping his commandments, statutes, and judgments. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. That is, before you got saved, who did you live for? yourself verse 15 but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in what portion of your conduct in all your conduct because it is written be holy for I am holy that's written where in Leviticus chapter 11 which is the chapter that says pigs are not clean nor catfish how about crawdads no. How about crickets? <laughs> Verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. What does that mean? If you call on the Father and you're walking in sin, should you expect blessing or judgment? Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Messiah as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And what does Revelation 19 tell us? Messiah is looking for in his bride that we be without blemish and without spot, right? He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Does God's word change? It says it abides forever. In what scripture does God say, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips? Psalm 89, verse 34. Let's go back and look. Psalm 89, 34. What's your question? Um, back on verse 17, I had never noticed that. Um, I actually had to scan real quickly. It says, if you call on the Father. And I was like, well, I was looking for the then, but there wasn't a then. And so then I realized that it's actually right there in 17. Mm -hmm. Past the time of your sojourning here in fear. So As in obedience. Recognizing that there's a judgment day coming. Yeah. Come judgment day, do you want to stand before the Lord and say, no, of course I wasn't going to keep your commandments. You can't make me. Nah. Wrong. Bill. Uh, in, in, um, in verse 18, uh, the word aimless, that we were redeemed from aimlessness. Aimless meaning what? Not taking you toward the goal. Not, not taking any care for or having a goal. Right. What is not the goal? Not having a goal, not having a destination, yep. not thinking about what's going on, how to, how to walk to that goal, right. to that destination. Yep. You know, and not taking responsibility for how, how I should, you know, and, and the whole word, everything through there, it, to me it's almost mind-blowing to a point to where... Uh, when I try and take the whole thing in at one time instead of step by step, having that goal, having that purpose, having that destination, you know, to, to walk one step at a time yeah. to get there instead of instead of trying to, you know, you know, take taking heed, taking care, walking carefully, you know, all this that we've already Yeah. Not turning to the left or to the right. right. Yeah. So. Did I see another hand out here? If not, Psalm 89, 34, go ahead and look at it with your own eyes so that you know it's there. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. That's why God keeps re-offering, renewing the covenant. Offering it again. Yes, Pat. I just wanted you to see the question that they put out there. Okay, let me go look and see what the question is. Okay. Okay. In Malachi 3.10, is Malachi 3.10 justification for the church to bring money is tied to the local church because they can't go to Jerusalem? I think you know the answer to that is no. The tithe was never money. Malachi 3.8-10 has nothing to do with a church offering plate. Those are offerings, not tithes. Nope. Maybe they just wanted to hear it one more time. Okay. So, look at Psalm 89.34 carefully. If you say, 
that God has done away with his prior covenants, if God has done away with his commandments, if God has done away with his promises, what are you calling God? A liar. Huh. Let's not do that. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. To verse 10. Then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. That's not what verse 10 says in the Hebrew. Verse 10 in the Hebrew says, Then all peoples of the earth shall see that the name of the Lord is proclaimed over you. That the name of the Lord is proclaimed over you. What does that mean? Let's go back to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. You hear me say it every Friday night during our Oneg at the start of the Sabbath. Numbers chapter 6 verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is where you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So if the rest of the nations of the world know that God's blessing is spoken over the children of Israel on a regular basis, are they going to be encouraged to attack? Or are they knowing that God is protecting the children of Israel going to decide to stay home and let peace reign? So if today in the nation of Israel, if they're getting attacked constantly by rockets and terror attacks, etc., are the people walking uprightly in the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God? They are not. Will all the air defenses in the world stop the attacks? Or will repentance stop the attacks? Repentance. So back to Deuteronomy 28.10. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that the name of the Lord is proclaimed upon you. And they shall be afraid of you means they shall be afraid to attack. They'll be afraid to harass. They will want to have peace with you because they will know that God is with you. Verse 11, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, which means lots of healthy children. The increase of your livestock, more and more cattle, sheep, and goats. And the produce of your ground, the wheat, the barley, the olives, the grapes. In the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Peace in the land with the produce bringing bountiful crops in. Can you see just the blessing? How beautiful it would be. 
Verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, comma, the heavens. Remember Malachi 3.10, God promised if you will bring the tithe to the storehouse, God will open the heavens and let the treasures fall. It's talking about the rain, the rain in its season. In Israel today, how many times a year can they harvest the crops? Three times. Three times a year. Because the ground just keeps producing bountifully because of God's blessings. To give the rain to your land in its season. Rain in its season produces crops. Rain out of season destroys them. God says, you obey me and the rains will behave. They'll fall when it benefits the crops. They won't fall when the crops need the rains to stop. And to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Who provides most of the fruits and vegetables to Europe? Israel does. Do you realize they provide the tulips to Holland that Holland's so famous for? Yeah, they're imported from Israel. Why? Because God's blessing is upon the land. He's trying to bring the people to the point of repentance so they can enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. Let's go to Acts chapter 14, verse 17. Acts chapter 14, verse 17. Look at a photograph of Israel from the 1850s versus now. And you will see the blessing of the Lord our God. Acts 14, 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. In that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Why, since Israel is not in a state of complete and total obedience and faith in God, is God providing all this food and all this bounty? What does it say here? It's for a witness. So that they can see the hand of God, they can see the blessing, and turn to him in repentance and faith and love and obedience. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. Oops, I have a one out there. Let me see it. Nehemiah 13, 10 to 12. Tie this grain, new wine, and oil. Yep. Tie this only agricultural products. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. That's a very poetic way of saying what? You will be a witness to the nations. You will be the greatest of the nations. The rest of the world will want to be like you. You shall be above only and not be beneath. And then see that word if? It's not if. It's because. It's because, I think they keep translating in our Bibles as if, because it points back to verse 1. It's only 
when that if is satisfied, that the becauses come into effect. So verse 13, And the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You shall be above only, and not be beneath. If, because, you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. Verse 14 says, so. Does so change topic? Or does it give us a summary and an exhortation? So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or the left to go after other gods to serve them. So what is the exhortation here? To pick the commandments you like best and follow those? No, it's not pick or choose. It's do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you this day to the right or to the left. What causes us to get off the path either to the right or to the left? When we go after other gods to serve them. And people say, wait, 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 wait. In this world today, we don't serve other gods. Well, anything that takes the place of God. If God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and a man says, do Sunday instead, don't do the Sabbath, you've turned aside after other gods. You have made a man your God instead of the Lord our God. One word could sum it up. That would be covetousness. Okay. All right. Let's break this down now. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Does God really mean don't turn to the right hand or the left? Deuteronomy 5, verse 32. Deuteronomy 5, verse 32. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses reiterates the Ten Commandments that he received on tablets of stone on Mount Sinai. Then in verse 32 he says, Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that. What does that mean? Here's the blessing that comes from obedience. That you may live and that it may be well with you. and That you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Blessings that flow from obedience. Deuteronomy 17.11 I have a comment out there. Let me see what it is. Yes, Danny and Susie say, so essentially he's saying that obeying man's instructions for living over God's given instructions is forsaking and turning aside. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Good summary. Deuteronomy 17.11. 17.11. When a court in Israel gives God's judgment. It says, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. 
You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. But Susie's comment, or Danny's, brings my mind back to Deuteronomy 8.11. I don't know if it does you, but it does me. Verse 11 says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by, meaning this is how God determines you have forgotten him, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. So when you turn away from what God commanded and do what man has con commanded or instructed instead, God says, you forgot me. Even if man's instructions are how to worship God. God says, you still forgot me. Give me a good New Testament book and chapter that tells you that following man's commandments is not the way to worship God. Let's go to Matthew 15. We could go to Mark 7, but we'll go to Matthew 15. The scribes and Pharisees did what the Catholic Church did in the 4th century. Verse 1, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Yeshua, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They don't come saying, Why do your disciples transgress God's commandments, do they? No. They say, Why do they transgress our commandments? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So does Messiah say, Well, at least the commandments of men are trying to direct your worship to God? No, he says, What? What's it mean, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men? Worthless, no good in. Worthless, no good, of no effect. How many people think that the scribes and Pharisees are the most righteous of men, and of course they're going to heaven? Messiah says, eh, wrong answer. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 17, to another portion of it. Deuteronomy 17. We're looking at the phrase to the right hand or to the left hand. Do you know what that actually literally means? It means do not add to or take away from the commandments. Where does the Lord say that? In Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 12, right? Don't add to or take away. To leave the commandments to the left or the right is to add to or take away. 
Deuteronomy 17, verses 19 to 20. And it shall be with him, that is the king who writes a copy of the Torah. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So if God said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, did he mean keep Sunday instead? Yep. He did? He did not. Did he mean? <laughs> okay. I was double tracking over here and I got crossed up. No, he wants us to obey it. If God said keep the Passover and man said do Easter instead, which does he want? Passover. Have you noticed that in some years Passover and Easter are a month apart? Yep. Why is that? Because Easter is based upon a pagan holiday, not upon the Passover. Let's go to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua takes place after the children of Israel cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Joshua chapter 23. Verse 6. Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. When it says the book of the law of Moses, which book is it talking about? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Yep. Second Kings. Chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2. This is about King Josiah, who was eight years old when he became king. Verse 2 says, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So what does God have to say about Josiah? That he was a very righteous king. And let's go to Romans chapter 6 and see if the New Testament says something different. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves servants to obey, you are that one's servants whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So if you obey God, whose servant are you? God's. If you obey man instead, whose servant are you? Man's. That's not the same thing. In verse 19, Paul explains it even further. It's like when your parents say, let me say this to you in the very small words. 
I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now, what does that mean, so now? Now that you have been saved by faith, present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. When you were unsaved, you were walking in lawlessness. Now that you've been saved, walk in righteousness for holiness. Do you see the change? So many theologians say, no way, no. In fact, I had a pastor at the Jordan River as I was doing a baptism service one year in Israel who came down just screaming at me that, no, you're teaching your people wrong. They're not supposed to repent. Repentance is a work. And that if you stop sinning, you're trying to earn your salvation. You must continue walking in sin so that you can express your faith in God to save you anyway. All I could say is, and that's in the Bible, where? Well, that's our doctrine. I don't care if it's your doctrine or not. What does the Bible say? And how many pastors, when you ask that, say, well, I don't know what the Bible says, but this is what we believe. Yeah. Well, okay, that's what you believe. If you'd like to be saved, go read the Bible. See what it says. What's that? Um, well, let me go back to my notes here real quick. Uh, the sentence of the law at Matthew 15. And Matthew 15, okay. Debate over man's tradition versus the Torah. Uh-huh. And so it's really, really important, isn't it, that if someone tries, I'll just make it about myself, if someone tries to tell me, well, this is the way you need to do this, that if I've studied my, the word and I know to the best of my ability that what they're saying is does not line up with God's word, then I need to stand fast against yes. that and say, no, you know, Yep, Acts chapter 13, Paul committed the Bereans because whatever they were taught, even by him, they would go to the scripture to see if it was so. And if it's not according to scripture, do you accept it anyway? No. No. And that was Acts 13, you said? Yeah, Acts chapter 13. Okay, thank you. Sounds like Josiah had a good mama. Okay, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let us go back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 28. I don't mean to get preachy. But I, I didn't grow up in the kind of walk that I walk in now. I was taught stuff completely different. That God doesn't want you to follow those Old Testament commandments. All that's been done away with. Now... You do whatever you think is right because that's the Holy Spirit directing you. What does the scripture say about following your heart? That is deceitful and evil, right? Okay. Right. So let's go to Acts chapter 13. And see that God says, be like the Berean.
Let's see now. It's right in here. Well, let's start in 42 just for grins. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, you see that word synagogue? It really is the word synagogue. Make note of that. Synagogue. The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation broken up. See that word congregation? That's also synagogue. It's not congregation. Now when the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. The translators changed the word because now it's clear in verse 43 that there are non-Jews meeting with them. So they don't want you to know that they were still meeting in the synagogue, the Jews and the Gentiles too, but they were. On the next Sabbath, verse 44 says, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Let's see. Then let's look at Acts 17.11. It goes the same theme from Acts 13 to 17. But the actual word Bereans, she says, is in chapter 17, and I believe it. So let's start in verse 1. Oh, you know what? I put Bereans at the top of the page. Okay. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. What was Paul's custom, it says? What did he do on Shabbat? He went to the synagogue. Okay. And then in the verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That's the best reference there, Acts 17.11. Thank you, Rachel. Okay, back to Deuteronomy. God bless you. Chapter 28. God bless you. Verses 1 through 14 are, here are the blessings that God promises on his name in an oath, in a covenant to do if you will be obedient. Verse 15 now is the flip side of the coin. If obedience brings blessing, what does disobedience bring? Trouble. Judgment, <laughs> trouble, curses. Verse 15, it shall come to pass. The first word of 15 is not but, it's and. And it shall come to pass if, but that if is correct. This is the flip side. If you're obedient, that's 1 to 14. If not, we're in verse 15. It shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And of all the commandments, which is the most important to God? 
which is the one that is like the wedding ring that says it's the sign that we worship the true and living God. The Sabbath. Where does it say that? That's Exodus. Let's go back to Exodus. Chapter 31, verse 12. Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, what does that word saying indicate? Indicates what follows is a quote. Speak also to the children of Israel, not to Israel, not to Jacob, but to the children of Israel. That's the entire commonwealth. Saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep. For it is a sign. That word sign is the Hebrew word out. It's like the wedding ring. It's a sign, a signet. Between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore you shall keep the Sabbath therefore for it's holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Okay, so give me a verse that tells us specifically that if you're not born Jewish and you want to enter into the Messianic kingdom, you must keep Shabbat. It's in Isaiah chapter 56. I know people say, Wayne, why do you harp so much on the commandments? Just love God and everything else will work out fine. Isaiah 56. Yeah, what does it mean to love the Lord? If you love me, comma, keep my commandment. So Isaiah 56. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is for all people. So thus says the Lord, keep justice. That word keep is to guard. And do righteousness. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. So repent from lawlessness. Do righteousness. That's Romans 6, 16 to 18. For my salvation, my Yeshua is about to come. And my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it. Blessed is the man, that word's Enosh, that can refer just to the Jewish people. But the next phrase, and the son of man, that word man is Adam or Adam. So God is using both words to say, I don't mean just one group of people, I mean everybody. How many of you descend from Adam? The rest of you are from monkeys, I guess. No, no. We all descend from Adam, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. And keeps his hand from doing any evil. So keeps his hand from doing any evil. Encompass all the commandments. But which one does God call out separately? Sabbath. The Sabbath. Verse 6. Also the sons of the foreigner. That's non-Jewish people born somewhere around the world. Who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. And to love the name of the Lord. To be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. And holds fast my covenant. Holds fast my covenant encompasses all the commandments. But which one does he call out specifically? The Sabbath. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain. What does God mean by my holy mountain? It's the messianic kingdom. As in Isaiah 2. 
and make them joyful in my house of prayer. That's the temple on the temple mount where Messiah will sit and rule and reign. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Who refers to that verse in the New Testament? Yeshua. Yeshua does. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. Another example to show how much importance God puts on Shabbat or the Sabbath is in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 21 to 27. Why do I emphasize it so heavily? Because God emphasizes it so heavily. Verse 21, thus says the Lord. Who said it? Not Jeremiah, the Lord did. Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work but hallow the Sabbath as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey nor inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath to do no work on it. Then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots on their horses, they and their princes, accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah, from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, and from the lowland, from the mountains from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in his gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Of all the sins that Judah was committing, which one does God use to draw the line in the sand? The Sabbath. Shabbat. Commercial self gain. Yep. Shabbat. But the theologians of today say, ah, what's one day over another? Pick any day you want. Okay, I pick Monday. No, you can't pick Monday. <laughs> pick any day you want. I'll pick Saturday. No, you can't pick Saturday. <laughs> okay. Back to Deuteronomy 28. My intent is not to make fun of anybody. It's to get you to please understand how important Shabbat is to God. So verse 15. But it, I got a comment out here. Let me see. We elaborate on burden in Jeremiah verses. It means work. Yeah. We are to rest on Shabbat, not to work. Verse 15. But it shall come to pass. Oh. I guess I should explain more. The people were in Jerusalem working on rebuilding the city. And they were allowing people to bring carts of things in to sell on Shabbat. For the people to buy and sell. 
And they were saying, well, we're not doing it. We're letting them do it. We're just buying from them. God says, no, uh-uh. That's not what it means. Okay, back to Deuteronomy 28, 15. And it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. First curse. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. It means it doesn't matter where in the land you are. Whether you're a city dweller or a shepherd in the field. Verse 7, and cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, which means you're going to be hungry. There's not going to be enough food. Verse 18, cursed shall be the fruit of your body. Children will be sickly. Children will die. Children will be born stillborn. And the produce of your land, the crops will fail. The increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks, they won't produce like they would under God's blessing. The animals won't be as numerous, they won't be as healthy, they won't be as strong, they won't bring as much uh, wool or meat or milk or income on the markets. Verse 19, curse shall you be when you come in and curse shall you be when you go out, which means instead of going out confident to war, you're going to go out and get defeated. You're going to fall before your enemies. Why? Because if God is not with you, that's not the time to go to war. Verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do, meaning nothing's going to go right. Until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly, that is, get conquered. Because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have, what? Forsaken me. Literally, because you have left me. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. I bet you'll read this verse going, what does this have to do with anything? Right? It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This word leave is the very same word up in Deuteronomy. When one leaves the mother and father to go join himself to his wife, what does that mean? Do they continue to live with the mother and father? When it says you've left me? No, it means you have gone and chosen to reside elsewhere. That's the picture God's pointing, painting in Deuteronomy 28, is that if you choose not to obey me, then you have left my presence and have gone to dwell elsewhere. You made a conscious choice to leave my protection, to leave my blessings. Back to Genesis 28. No, Deuteronomy 28. What am I talking about? I do want to go to Genesis 28. Question, How about that? Question real quick. Before, before you ask your question, go to Genesis 28. Okay. And while you're turning, ask your question. Uh, how does that 
verse right there about leaving his mother and father. And what, how does that? How do we reconcile where Yeshua said, "My Father's house has many mansions, and when I, when I there, I'll go and prepare a place for you, and then I come back and get you." So, and and with the context of the history, where a, a man would go and uh, propose to a woman and come back and build his house. To his father's house. Not build a house, build a room. Build a room. For the seven days of the chuppah, and then would take his wife and go off and build them a residence. Elsewhere. They didn't live in the father's adjoining room forever. Okay. So. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. So Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. This uses that same word, leave, or left, as we saw in Deuteronomy. It says, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So God promises to dwell with us, so long as we will continue to be his obedient children. And when we decide, no, we've had enough of God, we're going elsewhere, then God no longer promises to remain with us. So if you are not dwelling with God, which of you moved first? You did. So back to Deuteronomy 28 now. Let me see. There was a question out here. Maybe it's gone. Okay. Just checking to see how much time we have left. Verse 21. Oh, I can get all caught up in what I'm doing and forget all about time. <laughs> the Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The plague or pestilence refers to, remember what I did to the Egyptians? The plagues I brought upon them? Remember the incident at Baal Peor where you decided to play with the Moabite prostitutes and partake in pagan sacrifices, the plague that broke out. God keeps the plague away so long as you're obedient, but you turn away from God and the plagues will come upon you. Yeah. Verse 21 begins a sevenfold judgment of God that falls as a result of disobedience. Verse 22 says, The Lord will strike you with consumption. I don't know why they chose the word consumption, but the Hebrew word refers to swelling lesions. Consumption makes me think of the flesh being eaten away, but this is swelling lesions. Things that, yeah, okay. Things you don't want. With fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, that's warfare, with scorching, that word scorching isn't scorching, it's blight, how the crops can get blighted and fail, and with mildew, what's mildew? Fungus, another thing that destroys crops. They shall pursue you until you perish. Verse 23, we're back to no rain again. 
and your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze. Bronze is a picture of judgment. But it's talking about the clouds will not give the rain in its season. What happens to the ground if it doesn't get rain? It gets hard, it gets broken, it doesn't produce, does it? And the earth which is under you shall be iron. How many of you have ever tried to plow a garden in a patch of iron? Not going to work. Mm -mm. Verse 24. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you're destroyed. So it's not just that the ground will become dry and hard, but the wind's going to bring the dust up. Does it make you think of the dust bowl of what, the 1920s? How the dust just consumed everything? Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. That is no more victory. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. Isn't that the opposite of the promise God made for blessing? That your enemy would come as one and flee seven ways? Well, you turn away from God and it's you who will be fleeing seven ways. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. That is, they all are going to want to attack you. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And no one shall frighten them away. One of the worst things that can happen when you die in the scriptures is the body does not get buried. It gets left out to be carrion for the birds and the animals. And that's one of the curses of God. Verse 27, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch from which you cannot be healed. So again, a reference back to the plagues that God brought against Egypt. Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. You shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. Does that make you think of Revelation? When it's going to be so dark they can't see where to go. But it also harkens back to Egypt where the darkness was so thick even the candles wouldn't burn. And you couldn't see an inch in front of your face so nobody did anything. They just sat because they didn't know what to do. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you. Verse 30 is about the effects of invading armies. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. That was a tactic they used in the olden days when a nation attacked another. They raped and defiled the women. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. Why? Because you're going into captivity. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not gather its grapes. So where the blessing of the Lord was that the crops would not fail, you would have an abundance beyond measure. Here, all that you grow, somebody else will take. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you, you shall, and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Why is God telling all the people this? Give them heads up. <laughs> Give them heads up. 
Remember, it's just in Deuteronomy 30 that Moses says, I've set before you today life and death, good and evil, choose life. He says, we've told you ahead of time, here's the blessings for obeying, here's the curses for disobeying, now choose which you'd rather have. And which did the people choose? Let's keep reading. Verse 32, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people that is taken as slaves. And your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long. And there shall be no strength in your hand that is no ability to recapture and take back your own children. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor. And you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. Who took the northern kingdom captive in 722 BCE? Assyria. And who took the southern kingdom captive 120 years or so later? Babylon. At the time this is written, there is no Babylon. You realize? No Babylon. It was Assyria that started Babylon to guard their eastern gate. It was that same Babylon that rose up and overthrew the Assyrians. Ah, okay. Obviously, they did a good job of establishing them as an army. Verse 34, so you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. Lord will strike you, will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed. And from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Then things start to get bad, as if that wasn't bad enough. But verse 36 to me is one of the most powerful prophecies in Deuteronomy. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you. Does Israel have a king in Deuteronomy 28? No. Will they have a king when they cross over the land, over the Jordan River into the land and conquer it? No. Not for 400 years after these words are written will Israel demand a king. But does God know it's coming? God knows it's coming. What surprises God? Nothing. Lord will bring you and the kingdom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. That word serve is the word avad. Avad means to work or to do what they tell you to do. So instead of doing what God says, you're going to end up doing what they tell you to do. Only you know what? Being obedient to them, does that bring any blessing? Nothing. So what do you get when you serve other gods? You get nothing. And we're talking here about Babylon. Where did Abraham come out of? Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Babylon gets established. So essentially God says, I called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees to come into the promised land to begin a new people to worship me and me alone. And if you choose to worship the gods of Babylon, 
You can go back there where Abraham came from. And you're not going to like it a bit. There's going to be no blessings. There's going to be no advantage. And that's what he wants them to learn by the captivity. It's not to punish them. It's to open their eyes. To see what they have left. What they've lost. What they gave up. Because of the choices they made. Put in your notes, Romans 6.16. What it's trying to say here in verse 36 is you will obey them because you would not obey me. Does the scripture tell us that we have two eternal destinations that are possible? One eternal life, one the lake of fire and eternal death. God has told us how to make our choice and that we will be responsible come judgment day for our choice. And does the Bible say that everybody's going to say, whoa, I pick eternal life? Does it say most will take eternal life? No, that's Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Because it ties right into Deuteronomy 28. It really does. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, verses 13 and 14 are only talking about people who believe they're on the path to eternal life. Verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. They think they're on the road to eternal life, but where are they on the road to? Destruction. Is that a few people? No, that's the great majority. Verse 14 says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are few who find it. Why? Verse 15, Beware of false prophets, that's false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They're teaching you not to obey God, but rather to obey a doctrine of man. Is that any different than the scribes and Pharisees? It is not any different. And that should scare us to the course of verse 16 says, well, how do we know these people? You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? If they are not following God's commandments and they're teaching you not to follow them, are they leading you on the narrow path or the wide path? The wide path. In verses 21 to 23, just nail that down. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, what day? Day of the Lord, judgment day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? They're saying this proves our faith and love. Why did they think it? Because that's what they were taught by the false teachers. Verse 23. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So in verse 22, the people are taught, God doesn't want you to follow those Old Testament commandments. That was for those, old, those nasty old Jews. God wants you to do these things over here instead. That's how you demonstrate your faith. And what does Messiah say? Depart from me who practice what? Lawlessness, which means those who will not follow God's commandments. The latest prophecy update had the latest Barna survey numbers in it. I was absolutely shocked. The last I had heard before this was that there was only 15% of the church that actually had a biblical worldview. Now it's down to 4%. 4%. Because uh, the wokeness and the LBGTQ, etc., is overtaking more and more denominations and more and more churches. And they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that may have been a sin under the Old Testament. But we're in the New Testament. Okay, back to Deuteronomy. Uh, you're right, I'm getting preachy. Deuteronomy 28. everybody love everybody else and just try it and that's such an abomination yeah yeah Deuteronomy 28 before I get preaching again did verse 36 come to pass did God send Israel into captivity how many times three times Assyria took the northern kingdom. Judah took the southern kingdom. Rome kicked everybody. Three times. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Now, the traditional church tells us that, oh yeah, they may have been punished for violating God's commandments, but now God wants you to violate his commandments. That shows your faith. Anybody out there believe in that? I hope not. Verse 37, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord your God will drive you. What's it mean to be an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword? It's where the other nations say, ooh, let's not do what they did. Because boy, did they get taken to the woodshed. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. Do you realize it's not talking about insects? Go to Joel chapter 1. God uses insects, the locusts in particular, because they do such damage. When they come into an area, they devastate crops. What chapter, Joel? Joel chapter 1. Starting in verse 4. 
Well, no, let's start in verse 1. Because God wants us to teach this lesson from generation to generation. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, what's Yoel, it means the Lord is God, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Let your children, tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. What the chewing locusts left, that's Babylon. The swarming locusts has eaten, that's Medo-Persia. What the swarming locust, Medo-Persia, left, the crawling locust has eaten, that's Greece. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten, and that's Rome. So under Babylon, it wasn't so bad. Under Medo-Persia, it was worse. Under Greece, it was worse yet. And under Rome, it was the worst it will ever be. Rome is described in the book of Daniel as... The beast that is without description, it is so horrible. Too horrible even to put into words. So if we go back to Deuteronomy, that reference in verse 38 to the locusts is referencing the four great Gentile world empires that would devastate Israel. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. It's the same as the image in Daniel chapter 2, where the head is Babylon, the chest and arms of silver, Medo-Persia, the belly and thighs of bronze is Greece, and the two legs of iron is Rome. And then later in the book of Daniel, Daniel himself sees it as four kinds of beasts. But back to Deuteronomy 28 verse 39, it says, You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes. For the worms shall eat them. Why? Because you're going to have been taken into captivity and left it all behind. God brought Israel into the land where the crops were already planted and standing and ready for harvest. And God says, I'll take you out the same way and just let those crops go to dust. Verse 40, you shall have olive trees throughout all your territory. What were olive trees used for? Everything, can we be more specific? The olives provided oil for the lamps, for light, for food, for medicine, healing, all kinds of things. And for feeding animals when you had the, just the pulp that was left. Keeping, keeping your body moist. Yeah, had all kinds of uses. So those, the olive trees will be all over the land of Israel says, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. Isn't that sad? It really is. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Verse 42 says, locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1.
There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And you're saying, what does that have to do with anything? It's that I don't want us to get too depressed. I want us to remember that Messiah was promised, that restoration was promised. So as you're reading through these curses and going, no, Lord, no, there must be an end, God said, yes, there will be an end. Just as sin brought the judgments, repentance brings the blessing and the restoration. So I just had to get that in there. Verse 43, Deuteronomy 28, 43. The alien, what's that mean? The non-Jew. Who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. That is, the land will come to be ruled by Gentile powers, and not by Israel. They will lose their sovereignty. It happened not just in the captivities, but go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1. Now after Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Who was Herod the king? Was he as an Israelite? No. Go to Acts chapter 4. But he's king over Israel, and he's not Israeli. He's a descendant of Esau. Acts chapter 4, verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Yeshua, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Herod's an Idumean, who's Pontius Pilate? He's Roman. Who rules over Israel in these days? Rome and Edom. That's in fulfillment of this prophecy back here in Deuteronomy 28:43. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 28 to verse 44. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Again, it's just the opposite of the blessings of verses 1 to 14. Verse 45 says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you're destroyed because, and that word is truly because, you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. 
So does this mean God makes the Gentiles mean and bad? No, it means he removes his hand of protection and lets the Gentile nations do what they want to do and he doesn't intervene. What caused him to take his hand of protection off? Our disobedience and sin. What does disobedience really boil down to? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. It boils down to a lack of faith. If you believe God will do exactly as he said, and he told you the consequences for rebellion, if you truly believed, would you rebel? No. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. For who, having heard, rebuilt? Having heard what? The very voice of the Lord God from Mount Sinai. They heard the very voice of the Lord from Mount Sinai. It says, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So put verses 18 and 19 together. The Apostle Paul says, why did they not obey? Because they did not believe. It's not that they didn't know there was a God in heaven. Because they heard his own voice. They saw the mountain shake and the mountain was on fire. They knew there was a God in heaven. The word believe means that you know that God will do exactly what he said. So they believed because they were taught by false prophets that well God won't really judge people how many of you heard people say God wouldn't really send anybody to hell God wouldn't do that he loves everybody we're all going to heaven same story from Adam and Eve these are false prophets and when people listen to the false prophets they say okay go wow okay so I can keep on sinning and God's going to save me anyway is that what the scripture says? No. Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 16. Do you know why we jump all over the Bible like this? Because people say, oh, you're just taking that out of context. Well, no, it says it all over the place. Yep. Jeremiah 16, verses 10 to 13. Jeremiah kept prophesying, if you don't repent, judgment's going to fall. But there's hundreds of false prophets saying, oh, don't listen to Jeremiah. God loves us. God would never allow another nation like Babylon to conquer us. And what happened? They continued in sin and Babylon conquered them. Jeremiah 16, verse 10. Bear in mind, if we read Jeremiah 1 through 15, the people have cut creches in the walls of God's temple and put up idols. 
They're in a courtyard of the temple bowing with their backsides to God to worship Tammuz in the rising sun. And they say in verse 10, it shall be when you show these, these people all these words, that is the words of judgment that's coming, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what's our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? Do, do, do you see? They're saying, what did we do wrong? As they're worshiping their idols in God's house. Or what is our sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me. Remember Deuteronomy 8.11? How do you forsake God? By not keeping his commandments. You shall say to them, verse 11, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, they've walked after other gods and have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and have not kept my law, my Torah, my commandments, statutes, and judgments. And you've done worse than your fathers. For behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. Therefore, I will cast you out of this land to a land that you do not know. And they're saying, how do we know this would happen? What did Deuteronomy 28 verse 36 say? I'll cast you out of the land. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. without faith. Don't look at faith as an English word. Look at it from the original Hebrew. Faith is believing that God will do exactly what God said he would do. Without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's Deuteronomy 28, isn't it? Okay, let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. Verse 46. And they shall be upon you. They refers to the curses. Shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. That means that these captivities, these judgments that fell upon you for disobedience will be remembered and will be taught forever and ever. Turn to the book of Romans to chapter 15. Romans 15 verse 4. Why does God have all this recorded in the Old Testament for you and I to read? So we learn. 
so we will learn. Verse 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We were to learn that what happens when you turn away from God and stop obeying him, then God brings judgment instead of blessing. How does that get turned around in the traditional church to say, oh, you're supposed to continue in your sin to show God your faith? Now, maybe I'm going too far. Maybe there is nothing in the New Testament that says, now that you've been saved, stop walking like the Gentiles walked. Is that in there somewhere? Like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17? Just as a for instance, let's turn over there and see. Ephesians 4. Is this written to a Jewish congregation or one out of the Gentile world? It's out of the Gentile world. Verse 17, Ephesians 4, 17. For this I say, brethren. Are we there? For this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility or perverseness of their mind. Does Paul say, oh, just keep living like you did before? No. No. Well, if you're not going to walk like the Gentiles walk, then that means walk according to God's commandments. And that's what he says. If we keep reading, let's go down to verse 22 because I'm running out of time. That you put off concerning your former conduct. What does it mean put off concerning your former conduct? You stop doing it, right? The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in what? True righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. So should we continue walking in sin? No. Why didn't Paul then write something like, shall we continue in sin that grace may abide? That's Romans 6.1, isn't it? Romans 6 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer God forbid. Certainly not. May genoito. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Does the New Testament tell us it's okay to continue in sin? Did Messiah in John chapter 8 say to the woman caught in adultery, Neither do I condemn you, now go and sin some more. Or do he say, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. Back to oh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verse 46. And they, the curse, shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder, and on your descendants forever. What does sin bring? Judgment. What do we learn in Romans 15, 4? Learn the lesson. Don't have to live through it yourself. How many times do we as parents tell our children, just learn from the lessons of my youth. Don't repeat my errors. How well does that work? 
No, but God says the same thing. Verse 47, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. He says, God began blessing you beyond measure. Did you respond in love and show your obedience? No. That's why the curses came upon you. God showed first his love and his blessings. I can't help but think of the northern kingdom of Israel. When God would send the great crops in, the great blessings, they would immediately run and take offerings to Baal and Ishtar to thank them for the great harvest. And that's what verse 47 is. God gave us the abundance of everything. And instead of responding to God with joy and gladness, we turned to the pagan idols and gave them praise. I see I've run out of time. I'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 48. Oh.